Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. We are back to normal. Thanks to everybody that listened last week as Terry Nelson was our guest and had one of our biggest shows in BCJ Podcast history. If you're new to the podcast or if you, you just found us by listening last week, we'd like to welcome you in. He's Dave Simone. He is with me during football season here on Bearcat Journal. I am Chad Brendel, owner and publisher of BearcatJournal.com. And uh, we've got a lot to get to tonight. The Bearcats will travel to East Carolina to take on the ECU Pirates on Saturday at 7 p.m. You know where you can watch that game, Dave? Cass through Porium You can. what I think you're going to say. You can, well, not you, but the people listening are invited to join us at Taft's Brewporium for another watch party. Another BCJ watch party at Taft's Brewporium. And Dave, I know you saw this yesterday. I'm leaning on him. I, I want a beer. Yeah, just, just lean in on it. I want a Bearcat Journal beer. And with the Bearcats wearing red helms tomorrow or Saturday night, in uh in Greenville, I think. What do you think? I think that should be be if Bearcat Journal has a beer, I think it should be named Red Helms. Don't you agree? I think that's an option. I think that's a good option. Maybe something that goes with like Bearcat Journal. I don't know. Well, I mean, Bearcat Journal Bavarian Lager. Or... Yeah, I, I just think, you know, you want like a, a name that looks good up on the board. I think Red Helms would look good on the board. I think our guys at 513 Shirts did an awesome job with the uh, the Red Helms logo. Uh, you can get your Red Helms merchandise, 513shirts.com. They are offering 20% off, by the way, until the Bengals win. So it might be 25% off, or 20% off, excuse me, at 513shirts.com forever. Yeah, you could be looking at, like, September 2020. <laughs> but join us at Taft's Brewporium. Uh, I, I, we've also got – we'll have a special guest there. The guys from Stone Lanes will be there giving away some gift cards for Stone Lanes to get you some bowling in. Uh, they have Taft's on tap at Stone Lanes, so they hit me up and wanted to uh, to make that happen. That's the That's the amazing part to me, Dave. As these watch parties continue to get more successful, everybody wants in. Everybody wants to be at the watch party now. Hey, well, you know, I mean, you see ticket office why, a couple weeks ago. Why wouldn't you want to be? I mean, it's, it's the place to be. It is. The place is packed every UC game. And did you hear they changed their deal? They changed the special. What this is the might, special now? This might coerce you into coming, actually. Well, I mean, they are playing the UCU. Even my... I don't even think my jinxing can, uh, can <laughs> so, mess that up. So when I say, when I tell you this, you you might change your plans and be at the watch party. So the way that they had done it the first half of the season was when UC scored a touchdown, it was half price, $3 pints from the time they scored the touchdown until the offense got the ball back. So a pretty good amount of time to, to get your order in. Uh, but if you didn't need a beer at that time, then you had to wait for the next touchdown. Well, they changed it. And now, as soon as UC scores a touchdown, $3 pints the rest of the game. I mean, so they better hope that, like, UC wins the toss and defers. You might be giving <laughs> some beer out at 7.05. If UC scores on their first drive, if they let's say they – they take the kick and they they go down on their first drive and they score. It is three dollar pints for the rest of the game. Why would you like not the, come to Taft's? Seems like the perfect time for a Trey Tucker opening kickoff return <laughs> for a touchdown. Yeah, twelve seconds into the game, you have three dollar ta- uh, drafts of all on all of the the, the draft beer at Taft. Every one of them three dollars. Half price from the minute UC scores a touchdown to the end of the game. Pizza, uh, I have a... garlic knots, all good stuff. But this time, you're going to want to be there for the beer. 
For sure. I have a similar story from when I was at Tennessee. There was this bar called Toddy's that did free beer until someone scored in the Monday night football game. Wow. That's a pretty good I went one. I went one time. It was the Titans versus somebody, and the score at halftime was 0-0. Oh, man. Yeah, they Anybody didn't have stand? much. They, well, yeah, because I think they ran out of beer, and everyone was calling their friends, like, hurry up and get down here before someone scores. <laughs> it, it, was, it was wild. So I, did you see what I did there, Dave? I worked three promos into one. I, I mean, you're, just, you're a professional like no other. I worked in Stone Lanes, who's going to be there giving out gift cards and, and mingling with the people. And I worked in 513 shirts. I mean, now we're, 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 on the verge of, we're on the verge of being like a proper outfit here. Now I'm going to bring up 24-7 sports, because if you haven't heard, there's a new deal at 24-7 sports. Where you can get CBS All Access for free, a $99 value. Simply by being a member of Bearcat Journal. You go into your profile settings, and uh, under your password and security stuff, it'll just say, join CBS All Access. That gets you, basically it's the CBS app. That gets you all the TV shows, some movies, college football games on Saturday, NFL games on Sunday, uh, quite a bit of, of other fine features. We just started that today. That is big. That is a, basically it's a gift. Because a lot of times what what happens is, Dave, they'll make you buy a subscription to get stuff like this. Well, for sure. That much that much content, they're just not giving, giving it away. Except we are, because it is applicable to everyone that is already a member of Bearcat Journal. If you are a member of Bearcat Journal, you can go right now into your profile, into your settings, and activate your CBS All Access for free. So that is a gift from me to you so if you are a member make sure you take advantage if you're not a member when you join now you get bearcat journal and you also get the 99 dollars cbs all access subscription that subscription also this is not a gimmick where you get it for a year and then at the end of the year you have to pay for the entirety of the time that you're a bearcat journal you get cbs all access included in your account so that's pretty cool I don't know why people wouldn't hurry up and go sign up for that right now. I mean, it's it's awesome too, and I, I'm not going to go too long with this uh, this ad here. But CBS is not on Hulu, so if if you're if you've cut the cord and you're streaming and you have Hulu or one that CBS is not on that service, you cannot get CBS shows. So now, if you have Bearcat Journal, we take care of that for you. You can watch all of the. Uh, NCIS New Orleans that you want from now until eternity. I was a CBS Los Angeles guy for a long time, but I've faded on that. Chris o- Chris O'Donnell and uh, and LL Cool J. I, I, I enjoyed oh, yeah. that duo. I enjoyed that duo. All right, one other one other piece of housekeeping, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to get too mad about this, but I just wanted to let people know. Um, let Let me get the terminology right, Dave. I let you know about this earlier today. Um, Bearcat Journal has been deemed by the NCAA as a non-institutional publication. Basically, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of what that means is nothing much has to change, but nobody at UC can retweet, favorite, like, anything I or Bearcat Journal tweets. And the big thing, and, and I know this is uh, going to be annoying for a lot of our members because... This has been one of the great features of Bearcat Journal over the years. Nobody from UC that works at UC can comment on the message boards. So, unfortunately, uh, and and the reason I'm saying this is I don't want you guys to think when, you know, if you ask a question for Brandon Sosna and he doesn't answer you, that he's ignoring you. Uh, What it means is the NCAA has deemed that he is no longer allowed allowed to, um, to speak to you on Bearcat Journal. So does that mean, like, what does that mean as far as, like, interviews? It doesn't change anything in terms of our coverage or content or what we can do. Like, we Um, can still, I assume we can still talk to, like, all the coaches, but, like, we've talked to Brandon in the past. Yes, they just, 
in the past. Yes, that's still fine. What they cannot do is they cannot like, favorite, or re- or retweet us uh, on social media. They cannot speak to us on social media. As dumb as that sounds, people I've had relationships with for 13 years, uh, I am no longer allowed to interact, or they are no longer allowed to interact with me on social media, which is insanity. Um, slide, and then, in those, slide in those DMs. Yeah. <laughs> and then nobody that works at UC is allowed to uh, to comment any longer on Bearcat Journal. So I just wanted to give yeah. everybody a heads up. It's not gonna. It's not gonna drastically change anything. It's not something UC did. Actually, from what I know, um, UC fought pretty hard for this not to happen, uh, but it was an NCAA ruling, and I believe it's going to be impacting pretty much all uh, team sites. So 24-7, Rivals, uh, everyone in that world is going to eventually be affected by this. Um, so I just want to let everybody know. It's BS, and it pisses me off. But Yeah, uh, I'm I sure the NCAA in there extensive enforcement arm will be as stringent on this as they are with fans tweeting at recruits and things like that. <laughs> I, I went on my rant last week and people were mad at me, so I'm not going to do any rants this week. Although they'd probably be okay with the NCAA rant, but I digress. All right, let's get into it. We've got football on Saturday, seven o'clock. We have basketball. The start of the exhibition, the start and end of the exhibition season, the one-game exhibition season uh, is tomorrow, 6 o'clock at Fifth Third Arena. Make sure you you know that as well. 6 o'clock is the tip-off for that game. Um, so come down, check it out. If not, we will have full coverage, as we always do, everything Bearcats on Bearcat Journal. Uh, let's get to it on the football side. Again, make sure you join us at Taft's. The minute the Bearcats score a touchdown, half-price pints for the rest of the game at Taft's Bruporium. The Bearcats take on ECU. Dave, I know you have been working on extensive, extensive oh my gosh. research about the You East have Carolina no idea. Pirates. The mic is yours, my friend. Have at it. So, so, so much to go over with the three and five East Carolina Pirates. I don't even know where to begin. Um, um, I, I will say know. this. I, I, East Carolina does a great job uh, covering their team. Um, I always get invited on a lot of different shows, probably as much as anywhere that UC plays when they play East Carolina. I was informed today on a podcast I was on that ECU's biggest uh, issue this year is – moving the ball well between the 20s and turning it over in the red zone. And uh, that's not going to work well against UC. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> they, um, they obviously, most people know, new coach Mike Houston has uh, come over from James Madison. He's had a lot of success at pretty much every stop he's ever been to. Um, he'd like to be a power running team. I think they – they run the ball a pretty even split, even though they run the ball terribly. Um, they they're they have two main issues that is causing the problems so far this year. One is this was a rebuild in the truest sense of the word. Like when coaches throw around culture a lot, you can oftentimes roll your eyes. Like of course everybody wants a good culture and they want their culture, but it sounds like that did in fact really need to change all the way down to things like being late to meetings, missing meetings. So I don't know if he had some, you know, mass roster turnover or if he's waiting to do that after year one, once guys realize this is how it's going to be. But, you know, that's obviously a problem. I've, I've seen some things about like when they get down, in games, they kind of lose their composure on the sidelines, things like that. So just kind of all the characteristics of a, of a pretty bad situation. And then the thing that probably relates most to this game is they are not good on either off on either the offensive or defensive line. Um, it's a combination of a size issue 
a talent issue, an experience issue. So, especially defensively, I mean, you see defensive line should have a field day and offensively, you know, we've, we've talked about the running game a little bit this year because of different issues with the offensive line, maybe not clicking the way it did last year, but I definitely think this is an opportunity for them to kind of just line up and, and bully ball these guys. Um, South Florida last week ran for 347 yards against them. And they did it with their third, their, well, let's see, their set. Okay, so if you really look at Blake Barnett was supposed to be their starter. He got hurt. He's out for the year. Their second string quarterback who started the majority of the season, he got hurt. He was out the whole second half. At the end of the first half, their third-string quarterback got a concussion. So their walk-on fourth-string quarterback played the majority of the game, and they so the second half the run. No, couldn't stop the run. The second half was was boring as could be. I mean, I think South Florida was up a ton in the first half, and it was basically like a seven-seven game in the second half. But yeah, they couldn't stop the run. Whether it was the third-string quarterback, whether it was a running back, it didn't matter. Um, so obviously that bodes well, you know, if there's some carryover. And they're not the only team that's ran the ball well against these they just, they just don't have the size. They don't have the talent um, in the trenches to handle a team like UC. They offensively, they have a little bit of – they have some talent. Like Holton, Ail- Holton Aylers – had a pretty good freshman year last year as a true freshman, not in the UC game. He was really banged up in that game. Um, but it, it was promising. And I don't want to say he's regressed, but just if you just look at raw numbers, I mean, we don't watch very much ECU, so I don't really know the, the game-to-game situation. But completion percentage is up a little bit, but it's still only 55%, which isn't good, especially with some of these offenses, how – many short passes they throw. Um, He's not running as much as he did last year. I don't know if that's by design, by injury. I know he got real banged up against Central Florida two weeks ago. Uh, I'm sure he didn't feel great last week. And then so who knows kind of where he is in that state for this week. Um, they're real thin at running back. I mean, their leading rusher is a true freshman. Their leading receiver is a true freshman. He's pretty good. CJ, I think his name's CJ Johnson. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, 32 catches, 400 yards, two touchdowns. But kind of like we've seen with some of these teams in the conference, I just, I just don't know how they're going to score. Um, if, if the guys you were talking to said they struggled to move the ball between the 20s, well, that's not real good. <laughs> no, they move the ball defense, well between like, the 20s. Oh, they oh they move the ball well. I thought, I thought you said they don't move the ball no. well and they turn the ball over in the red zone. <laughs> no, they move it well between the 20s and then they turn it over in the red zone. The Cincinnati defense this year, their M.O. has been letting you move it fairly well between the 20s and then turning you over in the red zone. So right. what they are poor at, Cincinnati has basically been the best in the nation at. That's usually when those things add up. It's usually not good for the team that's bad at it. Yeah. Maybe that's me. I mean, they, like, here's a good example. Like, they ran against South Florida. They ran the ball for 102 yards. And 34 of that was on two carries at the very end of the first half (laughs) when it was like, when South Florida was kind of in a don't let them score defense. And they ran it on passing downs and, and had a couple, like, 16, 18-yard runs. Um, Kendall Futrell, good defensive end, seven and a half sacks, so that could pose a problem. But again, he's 230. Like, the tackles are going to be 70 to 100 pounds bigger than him. Right. Like, they just, they don't have any Michael Pitts, Malik Van, Maizee Sanders, 250 to 270 defensive ends. I mean, they're just all small. 
along the defensive and offensive line. I know I was listening to some stuff this week, and the the guys were just talking about the just the stark contrast in pregame warmups when they looked at the USF team last week and the East Carolina team, just when it comes to comes to size. Um, like I said earlier, they're three and five, but their wins are two wins over an FCS team uh, over FCS teams and Old Dominion, who I think has one or two wins this year. They are here's some here's just some raw stats. First half of their five losses, how many points do you think they've scored? Five. Five. No, 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 no. Five losses. Uh, uh, I'll give them a touchdown each first half of their five losses and say 35. That's generous. That's generous? Yes, they have scored 32 points in the first half of their five losses. I was pretty damn close, Dave. Oh, no, you were, but, I mean, that shows you how bad they've been when you gave them (laughs) one touchdown – one touchdown. And it's, it's still too many. <laughs> I mean, I'm competitive. If you're gonna, if you're gonna challenge me, I want to. I want to be. Yeah. Clo- you know, I thought I was. I thought I was pretty good there. Um, five loss. Five losses outscored by an average of twenty-one and a half points. A hundred and eight total points they've been outscored by, and they've played a pretty good, a decent. I mean, they've played some of the harder teams. They played. UCF already. They played Temple. They actually played pretty well at home. Lost to Temple 27-17. I think Temple's a totally different team on the road than they are at home, except when they give up 60-something to UCF. But, I mean, open the season with NC State, who's okay. and lost 34-6. Got, hand, got it handed to them by Navy. So, you know, it, this is, they haven't beat up. They haven't been playing the, the bad teams in the league. Right. But, these games aren't really competitive, especially in the first half. Like their score against UCF ended up being like 41, 28 or 45, 28, but it was, I think it was 35 to three at halftime. So they, they kind of made it look closer than it was. Um, I don't think UCF to do anything tricky. I, I just, they're just a better team. They have better town, especially up front. I think it's going to make, I don't see them being able to run the ball at all. Um, so it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. They had a really, they had a really bad crowd last week for homecoming. So I'm wondering what they, what they're going to draw this week. I'm sure people are excited just because, you know, a ranked team or whatever, but where's kind of the, where's the overall fan base? Where's the overall team mentality? They've lost three in a row. They've gotten, the crap kicked out of them pretty much all three of those games. So, yeah. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts on this. We've seen UC out of a bye week once this year. They went on the road and they absolutely demolished Marshall. Do you think we can take anything from that as we come out of the second bye week? They go on the road. And they play an ECU team that is probably not as good as Marshall. Oh, there's no probably. <laughs> they're not even. I mean, I don't. They're not even close. Um, I don't. I I would lean towards saying no, just because I just feel like every week, and we see it in all across the country. Every week is just so different. Um, you know. You got upsets almost on a weekly basis. You got <clears throat> close games that shouldn't be close. You got blowouts that you thought wouldn't be close. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think those, you know, you probably try to replicate some of the well, stuff I mean, that was successful during the bye week, but it's a, it's a different opponent. You got different guys or banged up than they were against Marshall and, and vice and vice versa, stuff like that. So I'm not sure how much correlation there can be. It's kind of, I guess, what I'm getting at. I would say the correlation would be having an extra week for the offense to kind of 
come together and, and figure some things out because it appeared that that was the case at Marshall. Now, maybe right, I mean, you, just... you, have, you have more time to kind of fine-tune your script right? And and really dig into, like, okay, these – these are the 15 plays we want to start out with against the defense that they run. Um, so you have more time to maybe rep those, maybe not in a true practice sense, but like everybody knows. Maybe with a little bit more time, this is what our plan is. Um, so yeah, that that's for sure. And I just, I think the buys, have kind of fallen in the perfect setup for them. I know I've seen some teams where they haven't had any of their buys yet, and they have one like this week, and then they have one in two weeks, which would be terrible. Um, so they've kind of got, they've kind of been spaced out three, four, five games apart. So it gives you a little bit of time to get some like new film on yourself from the previous buy, and kind of get ready for that that home stretch of five games in this case yeah I, I'm just curious that was the best we've seen the offense look this year so and and it was coming out of the bye so we'll see if there's any correlation there um yeah if they come I, out and if they come out and they're smoking again like they were the first six drives at Marshall or whatever it was you could say hey Mike Denbrock's pretty good off the bye week or ECU's defense is hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> what will be interesting to me uh, on the offensive line, there has been some talk about it. It has been utilized some at practice. There's still been a bit of a rotation from what I've seen and heard. But Chris Ferguson, will he be at left tackle or will he be at left guard with um, – Darius Harper at left tackle. I think the other I think the other side we're getting to the point where Mets is pretty solidified at right tackle. Obviously Morgan James and and Jakari Robinson at right guard and center. Um So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because either way it should be a situation where they dominate ECU's defensive line. Yeah, I would I, I, I hate to say it shouldn't matter. I mean, we both kind of thought that they would. Well, I think it, it on matters. It, pr- I think it matters from the standpoint of you're entering the the, fine, the home stretch of the season. You've got to at some point get some continuity there. Oh, it matters That's to them. I, think I don't think it matters in the sense of like if one plays versus the other, it it dictates like the success of the game. Yeah, but I think if, if we're at the point where if they come out and Harper's at left tackle and, and Ferguson's at left guard, you do that thinking that's going to be how you're going to roll to the end of the season, right? Oh, for sure. Like, if you're going to make a change like that, you're not just doing it to see how it goes in game, I guess, eight? Yeah. Like, that's kind of what your plan is. That's, you know, that's, that's I, I just, I don't imagine that's something you're like doing a let's trial see how it on. Looks. Yeah. There is no let's see how it looks at this point in time. Right. Because ultimately, I mean, yes, you know, you've got to you've got to beat ECU. You get UConn at home, uh, USF on the road. I think it's going to be tougher than maybe some expect, but you still that's a game you should win. You've got to use these three games to be ready to go and win the American Athletic Conference Eastern Division and put yourself in position to be to win the Access Bowl. So right. you've got to use these three to not, you know, you got to win them, but you've got to use them to set yourself up. And I think that decision tells us what their their long-term thought process is on the offensive line in terms of, of what the left side is going to look like down the stretch. That's all. I agree. Um, one other thing. So I, I've been doing a lot of these interviews and it's interesting to me, Dave, the, the, the view from ground level and the view from high above. 
And a lot of the talk has been about how much the offense has struggled. And uh, while that's not necessarily something I disagree with, I think it, it, it at times has been kind of stuck in the mud um, for multiple reasons. But I go on I go on these other shows, and the first thing they want to talk to me about is how impressive Desmond Ritter is, has been this year. How good his numbers are. 14 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 1,400 whatever passing yards. Maybe a, a little bit down on the rushing yards. Because I do think he was, he was beat up pretty good in that Ohio State game. I think it took him a couple games, both physically and mentally, to get back from that. But it's interesting to me that that as we all look at it, my answer to those questions has generally been, you know, the the general feeling is he's been as good, maybe a little bit better than he was last year, but he hasn't taken that maybe that big step that everybody thought he was going to coming into this season. Um, some of that, of course, offensive line related, and um, some of it obviously. Uh, Mike Denbrock, as terrible as he is, according to the fan base, I boo him. I, I, I mean, I made this public, Dave. I boo him every time I see him. Did you know that? I didn't, I, but I'm I, sure. I'm sure he enjoys it. I told this story on uh, when I was filling in for Tony last week. Um, so we were standing. Generally, you know, we've got about. 15 maybe 20 minutes from the end of the game until Luke Fickle comes in to the press room to do the post game. They, you know, everybody mingles with the the the, the they do the the alma mater. They kind of talk to some people on the field after the game. Their families will be down there. The players go up, they do their celebrating that you'll see video from time to time. So we got a little bit of time to kill. So we're standing down there and this started after the Marshall game. I was joking with him Obviously, the offense played really well, and um, he was walking off the field, and he, he looked at me, and I was like, you suck. Boo. I booed him. He started laughing. He's got a great sense of humor. He, he understands that, you know, fans aren't thrilled sometimes with his play calling. Uh, Justin Williams had a great story on it last week on The Athletic. Nobody is harder on him than he is on himself. But after the Tulsa game, we were standing there, and he tried to sneak by me. He tried to put his play sheet up over his face to sneak by me because he knew I was knew I was going to boo him. <laughs> well, if he, if he just called the good plays. Yeah, call the good plays, Mike. Like, Come on. Like we talked about with basketball season. If yeah, they call just the plays that score. Call the make basket plays, everything will be fine. Call the first down plays. Where all you do is just make first downs and touchdowns. Like, Aren't those on his play sheet? Like, I'm sure he's got third long. I'm sure he's got two-minute drill. Doesn't he score. have touchdown plays? Play. Yeah, call the touchdown plays. But anyhow, it's interesting to me that the view from outside is that Desmond Ritter is having a very strong year when the view from the inside is that he's struggling and a lot of people think should be replaced by Ben Bryant. I, I just find that fascinating. The, 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 the level of... What looking at the numbers says to somebody as opposed to when you're a fan and you're caught up in it and you're diehard and you're watching it every game, like how visceral your reaction can be than when you're removed from things and you're just looking at the numbers and saying, wow, this guy's played pretty well. That part of that part of fandom is always fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I blacked out for a little bit there when you said something about replacing him. Um, I know. I told I had somebody yeah. in the bathroom at freaking Taft's for the. Um, I mean, it's it, it's it is. What, I hate I hate using the term. It is what it is. It, it it just kind of is what it is. I mean, you know, I think there's there should be high expectations. He progressed. Yeah. I felt I'm not well saying one way or the other is right. Time. I'm just saying I find it fascinating the different views. That's all. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, because I think, like, there's, there's, there's what you want, like, it's what you deem to be important out of your quarterback. Yeah. Like, I look at, I don't really look at 
his yards per se because I this offense isn't really designed for the quarterback to have like thirty five attempts and a three hundred and fifty yard game. So I look at it more as okay, like what are his turnovers compared to last year? I think he's doing better in that regard. Um I think he's running the offense better. I think he's putting the ball in harm's way less. And sure, there's little it, there's little parts of it. Like I figured he would have a stronger year running the ball. Not maybe not. I'm not saying stronger than last year, but like stronger than he's having now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like I said when I said, mentioned that earlier, I do think he got he got dinged up pretty bad in that Ohio State game. And physically and mentally, he just wasn't as aggressive calling his own number in the running game for a couple games. I think we're starting well, to see that come back. After the well, the Marshall game, he had decisive runs. Yeah. And he had decisive runs. And that's the thing that I was more concerned about was it wasn't just like I was just looking for running totals. Like he ran the ball this many times. But like he just didn't seem comfortable running the ball. Like his slides yeah. were weird. He wasn't – it just wasn't was, – there was hesitation. I mean, against Houston, he had two massive, decisive runs on third down. Um, and then against Tulsa, it was kind of – it reverted back a little bit. And I don't know if that was just kind of like the – I almost want to call it like an amoeba defense. Like they were just willing to let you run the ball and tackle you at three to four yards. Right in order to not give up big runs where they may be overcommitted and he breaks free or Mike Warren slips a tackle and turns into a 30 yard run. So I don't know if it was, you know, who knows? It, it could have been partly defense. Obviously coach Dan Brock took some self heat. Didn't think he called a good game. That could be part of it. Could be dead. You know, if you ask him, he could have been like, yeah, there were these three or four plays where I should have done this and it would have changed the total you know, outlook of a drive or the whole game. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I, I don't really, you know, you're, we're always going to Monday, Monday morning, armchair quarterback it to death if we really want to. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it just as much as the next person. I think sometimes, especially on third, third and medium, I think we can be a little too conservative. Um, but that's, that's a couple what is that like 10 plays yeah. 20 plays maybe out of the first seven games so um yeah i think for the most part i don't really have anything to to complain about i also, you know they and i think of one thing too that i ta- i did a little bit of research on this and i might do more but we're playing a much better schedule. So how much of the success from last year was based off of the defenses they played and the fact that two of the worst teams in the league we still haven't played. So what if he goes out these next two games and throws seven touchdown passes and no interceptions or something like that and you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's having an incredible season. Or, you know, he just didn't, he didn't play the bad teams yet. And it's, it's nice to play the bad teams. It's also, know, nice to, to, it's also nice to have an offensive line that right, had of course. 16, 21, 26 years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and now you've got and an they, offensive line with what? Uh... If let's say Harper starts at, at left tackle, he's started what two games? Yeah. Ferg has started a season, One season. and a half. A season and a half yep. now. Jakari has started essentially a season. Morgan James has yep. started a season and a half, and yeah. and Lorenz Metz has started half a season. Right. So, when you're working behind that, there there are parameters that you have to adjust. There are things that you have to adjust. 
And what? I I think Dez has been fine. I think if you'd ask him, he would tell you that he probably feels like he he has had some games where he's been good, some games where he, he could have been better. And I think that's probably a fair assessment. I just do think it's fascinating that people from the outside continue to ask me about this, about him having a, you know, a brilliant season and the, the feeling among the fan base is that he hasn't been maybe what they expected or, or hasn't been as good as they had hoped to see in year two of the Desmond Ritter era, which also again, funny when compared to the fact that their record is six and one, um, they've, they've played, Phil, Phil Steele does some stats on, like, I guess good wins, good losses, and stuff like that, and what your schedule is. And the teams that they've beaten have the 10th most wins in the country. So they're, they're, they're playing, you know, they haven't, you know, obviously UCF is the best team they've, they've beaten, but teams like Miami is having a, a, a pretty good year. They're tied for first in their division in the MAC. Marshall's kind of bounced back. I think they're in second or tied for first in their division. UCLA is, has bounced back a little bit. So, you know, they've they've played teams that are pretty, you know, in that middle tier, I would say. And them in Florida are the only teams in the country that have one loss who has lost to someone that hasn't lost. That's a lot of words to, to try to say that. But yeah, Their only loss is to an undefeated team. Right. I said that in Much a better. lot fewer words than you, which is yeah. very rare. Usually it takes Thank me you. a lot of words to say something. <laughs> Thank you. So I was looking at like S&P Plus, which is something that I reference a lot, just kind of looking at comparing the schedules. And I think their best – and this is – totals from last year their best win last year on that metric well i think was virginia tech and they were around the mid 50s and they've already beaten three teams i think that are right either higher than that or right around there and they'll obviously still play memphis is a top 25 s&p plus team uh temple's kind of dropped a little bit they're I think they're like a top 60 team, mm-hmm. but just, just the general totality of the schedule, I think is much better. We talked about, it. I mean, Houston for all the problems they have, I think there's like 60th. So you went on the road and you beat a top half team by two touchdowns. Like a lot of teams aren't doing that. It's kind of what I'm getting at. And maybe, you know, there's, there's bits and pieces of a, of a win that, we don't like, but it's still a two-touchdown win on the road against the top 60 teams. Right. Uh, one other thing to talk about before we get into a little basketball. It seems like a long time ago because of the bye week, but against Tulsa, we saw the reemergence of Jared Dokes. Three touchdowns. He was essentially the heart and soul of the offense on that day. How is your running back rotation now as we enter the backstretch of the season, the last five games, no bye weeks, you've got Mike Warren, you would think, um, should be healthy, should be ready to go. Now you've also got a healthy and engaged and um, very talented Jared Dokes. Are you in a Are you in a platoon? Is it still Mike, where Jared gets you know maybe a series every quarter or? You rotate him in if, if Mike's had a couple runs in a row. What does your running back rotation look like down the stretch? Mine would look as close to 50-50 as possible without necessarily doing like the you get a series, now you get a series, now you get a series. Like I think that kills your flow as a running back. I think you also need to take into account game conditions. Like, sure, you can say we're going to try to do 50-50, but – if someone's feeling it, like you're not going to take them out. Right. You might sub them, you know, when they need a break because they've had maybe it was a long drive and then we got the ball back quick or something and 
but I mean, he should play, man. He, he should play more than he's been, and part of it was coming back from that injury. But you, we saw that he's the, he's. He's just a little bit different than Mike. Like he's, he's really good. God, you can say he's, it. he's got, really he's, good. He is really good, but I mean, like he's got a different burst, even for a bigger guy. Like when he when he hits the the line, it just has a little bit different look to it. It's got a little bit different burst to it, and they need to play them off of each other to where. You know, Mike is the power back. I'm not saying Dokes isn't power. I mean, he definitely is a power back. I mean, he's got one of the biggest truck sticks I've ever seen at Michigan. And he just killed the guy a couple of years ago. But, like, you have Mike to kind of lean on them, and then you you bring in this other guy, and they're thinking, okay, well, he's just, you know, because usually you go power to speed, speed to power in your rotation. But they're both power. Jokes just has a little bit more juice to him. And I would love to see him. I mean, I, honestly, I would love to see him on the field at the same time. Um, but I just think that he's kind of moved himself into the position to, to definitely get more than just your kind of like one series every three type rotation. I agree with that. Uh, maybe I would say more 60 40. Um, but I think you're right. I think, I think you have to get dokes on the field more, especially now. And I think we saw this against Tulsa as well. And you're going to see it probably more teams are nicked up. Teams are tired. Teams are beat up on Jared dokes is fresh. And, and, he looks like he's got some pop in him that maybe defenses aren't ready for. So I would, I would say probably 60, 40 Warren, but I, I do think, and I think the staff is looking at this and thinking, you know what? Let's get Jared on the field a little bit more and, and one protect Mike because he has probably run more than they've wanted him to run to this point because Dokes was hurt because there's no McClellan. Because now Tavion Thomas is redshirting. We fell back into a situation where it was Warren or Bust. Of last year. Yeah. yeah, it was Warren or Bust. Now you're in a situation where you got two guys that can really go. I think you really put pressure on defenses by using both of them as much as possible. Well, and they're both they're both really good receivers too. Yeah. And I would like and I and I think they do a good job in the screen game. But I think Dokes has a little bit more, uh, as we saw with his touchdown against Tulsa, he's got a little bit more breakaway ability in the screen game if it's not like a couple linemen out in front and a straight line down the sideline. Like He can take a middle screen, make a guy miss, then beat guys to the sideline, break a tackle, stuff like that where Mike's more of the get the screen and, and go straight up the field with your lead blockers. Um, I'd love to see him continue that and even enhance the screen game more because there's just not guys, they're not going to be playing many guys that can, one, cover them from a speed standpoint, or if they have the speed, their size isn't going to match up. So it's, it's kind of a mismatch either way. With, with them in open space as receivers. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to follow in the ECU game because I think that'll be our first look at really coming out of the bye, how they're going to use uh, both of these guys in tandem and what the running back room is, is going to look like going forward. I, hell, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a bold prediction. Okay. They both rushed for over 100 yards this week. Okay. Now, just rushing or rushing, receiving combined, they both go over a hundred. Hey, we'll we'll say combined, but I mean, each one has a hundred yards all purpose. Sure. Coming out of the game. Okay. Okay. I mean, given what what 
USF did against him. I don't know that that's bold. <laughs> no, but you, you, usually, you just don't really see that a lot with two, you know, two backs with, I agree. with 100 yards. I agree. All right, and I'm not making any. I'm not making any Memphis Kenneth Gainwell, 200 receiving, 100 rushing predictions here. That, that seems ridiculous. We'll, that guy's we'll get pretty, to him. That guy's pretty good. He's not even supposed to be playing. That guy's, <laughs> that guy's best returning running back has been hurt all year. That guy's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to having to deal with him the day after Thanksgiving. Holy crap! No. All right, let's get to the prediction. It is brought to you by Trace Pountas. Fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order. Your order shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee's fresh. You've heard of single origin coffee. Trace Pountas coffee is one level higher. The coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, our high quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pountas, Brazil. Gourmet coffee in Four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French. The coffee ships to you in either whole bean or ground 12-ounce packages. You also have the ability to get K-Cups. How do you make it happen? You go to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. That's where you make your pick. Light, medium, dark, or French. And then... You pick your subscription. You can get it sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That depends on how much coffee you drink per week because you're going to want to have this as your regular coffee. You're not going to want to bother with Folgers in your cup anymore. So you make your pick every one, two, or four weeks, how much you want it shipped to you. And then when you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats. And when you enter Bearcats, you get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. So if you if you want to get a, a subscription of light roast that's delivered every two weeks, you want to get a subscription of dark roast that's delivered every week, you get 20% off every bag in your subscription for the life of your subscription with the code BEARCATS entered at checkout. That was a flawless read, Dave. It really was. I mean, I'm I was, on my I was, ad game today. I was hanging on every word. You also get free shipping. How about that? Even better. I mean, if you're if you're an ad, a potential advertiser listening to this podcast, how could you not hit up my email, brendel.chat at gmail.com, and want to advertise with the BCJ podcast? We just had one of our biggest shows last week with Terry Nelson. And we're having a great show this week. And I am crushing the ad game. All right, what's your prediction? I know you're going big again. It didn't work, didn't quite work out against Tulsa, but you're going big again. Now, I would assume against uh, ECU. I think, yeah, um, I'm going to go 38-13. Okay, <clears throat> that's all you got. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it'll be kind of like a, a ball control, like uh, punch them in the mouth, take away their soul type game. I think that's fair. I will say, if you are if you are struggling on the offensive and defensive line, Cincinnati's probably a bad matchup for you. Because if you're struggling on the defensive line, that gives them a little bit of an edge for a, an offensive line that's trying to find itself, trying to find a rhythm. Really good defensive lines are going to give this unit problems. A struggling defensive line, now maybe they can they can find a rhythm and they can they can start to gel as a unit and and push forward. And if your offensive line isn't good. This defensive line is havoc for you because they are getting to the quarterback relentlessly right now. And it is coming from all four spots, Dave. Yeah, that's that's the area where this one could get out of hand is because they're not going to be able to run the ball 
And if we get some, like, sack fumbles or stuff like that where you get short field or maybe a defensive touchdown, it could turn into the Marshall game again real fast. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing in that game. Yes, UC's offense played really well, but Marshall just couldn't move the football. Right. I don't think you're too far off. I'm going to go... I'll go 42-17 Cincinnati. They're going to score two touchdowns? Well, I mean, it's kind of like we saw with Marshall. Cincinnati (laughs) got up big. Yeah. You know, you start rotating in the twos. I will tell you this from practice the other day. The twos had a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) The twos, of course, were playing against the ones uh, a lot of the time. That's why they're the twos. Yeah. (laughs) It was a rough day for the twos. Um, <laughs> kidding aside, I, I just, I think this is, this is a game Cincinnati starts to maybe find some rhythm and then you come home for homecoming against UConn, go on the road at USF. And if you can take care of those three in fairly, you know, comfortable fashion, now you're rolling into that final two game stretch. So, uh, real quick, I wanted to do some more basketball talk, but we've been rolling on football here. Uh, scrimmage tomorrow, Halloween day, six o'clock is tip off at fifth third arena. Um, is there anything you're not going to be there? I know, but is there anything you want to hear out of this scrimmage? Anything you, uh, you're, you're looking for in terms of what the Bearcats do against Thomas Moore, or is it just get the guys out there under the lights one time and, and, and get them as ready for Ohio state as can be next Wednesday. Yeah, it's preseason football. I mean, nobody get hurt. I don't really care about the rest. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. You get that? Okay, yeah. No, I I got the first part. Nobody get hurt. I I missed the rest. Yeah. Because, like, I said, I don't really care about the rest. Just because, like, they're not game planning. They're not watching tape like they would a regular game. No, he said uh, they will game plan some for this one. That's That's a John Brandon difference. From uh, Mick Cronin, he said they will. There okay. will be some game planning for this. Okay, uh, we don't know quite what that uh, means, but some kind of game. Planning. Yeah, um, sure, it'll be limited. Maybe who knows? But no, I'm just like, get out there, get a get a sweat, make a couple buckets, don't get hurt. Like, yeah, that's that's all I, you know. Basketball, you need to be out there with with your teammates. To you know, obviously, it's a flow sport and and things like that. So the the game itself is good to play because you need the the game type setting. Um, but I'm not really looking for certain players to shoot certain percentages or or rebound certain number of rebounds, anything like that. All right. And we will uh, we'll be back. I would what, guess. What are, you, what are what are you going to be looking for? Um, I, I'll be looking for the big man rotation. How the how that is utilized? Uh, I think. And how much do they play small? How much do they play big? Uh, do we see one big on the floor and the four guard set, or the you know the four the four guard wing type set? Um, that that gets Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, and Javen Cumberland all on the floor at the same time. Uh, that's really it. I mean, the, a, a good look at John Brandon's offense as it is currently constituted, I think, will be something to keep an eye on. What kind of team does Thomas Moore have? Like, I mean, it's Thomas Moore, they... Division Three. Like, but are, but I mean, are they good at their like Bellarmine? We always knew that they were good for their level, so. Yeah, their level like, was elite Division Two team. Thomas right. Moore is a, a, a decent Division Three team. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> they're not trash, but they're they're going to have size and athleticism issues. <laughs> really, <laughs> yes. they're going to be at a, a size and athleticism disadvantage. You say that is my prediction. Yes, Thomas Moore <laughs> will be at a size and athleticism disadvantage in this one, my friend. Oh, here, okay. Here's here's one. Thomas Moore points versus 
ECU rushing yards first half? Uh, I'll go ECU rushing yards barely. <laughs> I, I think if we're setting an over-under, I think we'll both be under 35. How's that? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I think they'll rush. parlay on that. They'll rush for more than 35, but if, like, if UC wins this exhibition game, like, 105 to 57, they might not rush for 58. Well, you said first half. Oh, yeah, first half, yeah. So You meant Thomas Moore for the whole game versus ECU Thomas first Moore half. Po- yes, yes. Okay. Thomas Moore points whole game, ECU rushing yards first half. Uh, I'll take Thomas Moore. I don't think ECU gets above 40, 45 rushing yards in the first half. Yeah, they're, they're going to so, struggle to. They I, had I, about 70 going into their last drive against USF. Last drive of the game, yeah. So they're going to no, struggle. The first, to, oh, the first half. Yeah. No, no, they had 102 rushing yards the whole game. Right. Yeah, 34. So I think they're going to struggle to get to 40. Yeah. 45. I think Thomas Moore can score 45 in a whole game on Cincinnati. (laughs) So we made that way more more complicated than it should have been. This will be fun, though, to keep track of come Saturday (laughs) once you know how many points Thomas Moore scores tomorrow. Once we know where the line is set, it's going to be an interesting track. What do you think? Are you going to show up at Taft's? No. $3... (laughs) Three dollar craft beer is not enough to get you to to break the the mold. No, no, we we have we have company this weekend anyway. I, that yeah. wouldn't be right for me yeah. to do that too. Brent, but, uh, Brent is uh, Brent is not going to be around this weekend as well. I'm kind of mad at him. I don't think our fans want me to risk it for some three dollar beers. Yeah. Brent is uh, Brent is going to a wedding this weekend, which I've long said. If you have a fall wedding, you should be shot. Yeah, you just don't um, do it. Like there's but, been several other weekends throughout the year. To... However, the wedding is in San Diego. Oh, that's nice. I think I mean, that makes up for it. I gotta, that's why I got to go to this wedding. I, I have to. I love these people dearly, and I have to go to this. As wedding. long as there's no, as long as the, there's no fires by then. Well, that's in, San Diego. that's in L.A. San Diego's, right. clear. San Diego's clear, I think. That's a that's a pretty good pretty good distance. Uh, right. I I think I if I, just for full disclosure, if I had to go to a wedding in San San Diego, if I had to choose between that and covering an ECU game, I would have a very hard time making that decision. I might be in San Diego. I might leave it up to you guys right. for the weekend. Yeah, I don't think that would be that hard of a decision. <laughs> all right, man. Well, that wraps it up. I will see all of you guys, except Dave, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Tafts, half-price pitchers, or half-price uh, drafts, half-price pints, from the time the Bearcats score their first touchdown until the end of the game. So, you can't beat that. And I will see everybody tomorrow as the Bearcats take on Thomas Moore at Fifth Third Arena in the only exhibition game of the preseason. So, Dave, that's going to wrap it up. Oh, 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 oh. I did hear a little bit about the scrimmage. <laughs> Dave, that's bit. the very end. Not a lot. I did hear a little bit. It, it, and it wasn't very detailed. I think that the reason there weren't a lot of details out is it wasn't as much of a scrimmage as it was a joint practice. There were four 10-minute segments. There were different things worked on in each segment. Um, it, it was kind of what you would expect with two guys that that know each other really well, have teams that are probably fairly comparable, compatible. I, I, I think Dayton's going to have a, a really good year this year and be one of the top two or three teams in the A-10. Um, yeah, they so were it was, preseason third. So it's going. It was going. It was a situation where they both teams got some work. Um, they reset the score after each ten minute quarter. 
different things were worked on. Um, I did hear that uh, Chris McNeil and Javen Cumberland look good, uh, which continues the theme that we have heard throughout the preseason that those two have been rock steady. So Jared Cumberland looked like it was an exhibition game or a scrimmage. Um, he likes the lights. He likes he likes when people are in the stands. And that's no surprise. That has been the case for going on four years. It's not it's not saying anything that is uh, out of the ordinary. But that's why there wasn't a whole lot on it. It wasn't really a, 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 an actual, like, scrimmage scrimmage. It was more like uh, what, what NFL teams do in the preseason when they get together and have a joint practice. That's kind of what right. it's kind of it's kind of the description I heard on it. So um, but that is all this. That's all now. That's all I got. You guys got your scrimmage report. So super duper secret scrimmage. That's all the info on the super duper secret scrimmage that Chad Brendel could gather. So uh, screw you, NCAA. Thanks to Dave Simone for being a wonderful co-host tonight. I'm Chad oh, Brendel. Thank you. We will see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.